Good morning, Cornerstone. Um, my name is Dan. I'm on staff here. Um, good to see you all on this extremely cold Sunday afternoon. Um, hope you're feeling good. I know a lot of you have been eating already uh, Thanksgiving dinners. And um, last week I was, I was at a dinner and uh, a brother was like, let me put on my sweater. I was like, why? My belly's coming out, right? And for some of us, winter, and we pile on clothes, and that's excuse. All right, bring on the fat. Here we go. Thanksgiving's coming. I have a lot of clothes to cover this up, so I'm all good. So I know some of us are, have, some, have already been having Thanksgiving dinners, and hopefully we're not too tired. Uh, maybe I'll be like the college retreat speaker and just kind of power every once in a while to wake you up, right? <laughs> if you remember that. Um, <clears throat> all right, so today we're having a, a, it's a different message, kind of a one-off message, where um, we just finished our stewardship series, and then we have our Thanksgiving message today, and we're going into our Advent series next week. And I'm really excited to share, um, because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot these days as well. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, and we'll start from verse 13. And as you're turning there, um, just to introduce us a little bit, you know, it, during this Thanksgiving season, during any season of our lives, we, it, it's so hard to be thankful. Like, it's such a natural thing for us to not be thankful. You know, we always think we're kind of pursuing the next thing, and if we have those things, we'll be thankful. But if you just look at culture and humanity, poor people aren't very happy. The middle class isn't very thankful. And finally you get into rich upper society and people still aren't happy. And, you know, I can, I can confess this for myself. There are times when I'm just not thankful in life. For example, with my car. Um, I want a new car. And, uh, if, if, and I have, you know, to my credit, I have, a, I have some problems with my car. Um, it's kind of like, it's really weird. And if you've been in my car, you know it as the ghost car. Because it has a mind of its own. Um, what it used to do is that I would turn on my windshield wipers and it would go. And, but when I would turn it off, it wouldn't stop. And then it would stop wherever it wanted. I never knew when it was stopping. I never knew where it was stopping. It would just boop. And just wherever it wanted. And in those moments, I felt like I can't see anything. This is horrible, right? And then just I'll, So I had to just flip it on again and turn it off. And boop. And then eventually I keep doing that until it finally just fell in the right place. And now, so now my car doesn't do that. And now it's gotten worse because it locks on its own. I don't lock it and it locks. One time I was, uh, I got out of the car real quick to go to my trunk and I left the key in the ignition. And so I got out and shut the door and it dawned on me, my car's going to lock. And I got locked out of my car. Fortunately, I was just down the other street so I could go get my spare key. But, um... It just locks on its own. Um, it has a mind of its own. And so these days I'm like, you know, I could pay a couple hundred, maybe three, four to get it fixed. I'd get a new car. <laughs> I don't know. We justify things in our minds. It's just hard to be thankful with the things we have, right? And we always want more. And we think if we had a little bit more, we could be thankful. And so today we're going to th- talk about what has God really blessed us with in order to be thankful. So we'll look at Hebrews chapter 6. Starting in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. 
So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragements to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let me pray for us before we continue. God, I want to pray over the word that you've placed on this heart to share to these people. Lord, I pray that this word would be a word of truth. It will be a word of power as you come and speak your word to your people. And Lord, will we leave this place with life as we encounter your word, with joy as we encounter your word. And today, we particularly think about thankfulness as we go through your word. Be with us, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to start here by just showing us a few things. In verse 17, it says that God desired. Today, God has a desire for his heirs. We are the heirs of his promise. As people who are the people after Abraham, who step into the promise of Abraham, we are the heirs. And so this word is saying specifically that God has a desire for you. And he wants to show us something in order to give us a strong encouragement. So today, this word, I'm praying that it gives us what he's promising here. That we're uplifted in it. And I know for some of us, I have no idea what people are going through. But I know for some of us, it's very hard right now. And there's a lot of struggle going on. And for some of us, it's okay, but we're still not feeling particularly joyful. But today, the Lord has an encouragement for us. And how has he done that? He's going to show us two things. Through two things. He has a promise and an oath. Now, I know I'm jumping around in Scripture a little bit, but I'm going to, we're going to go look at that promise and that oath. Um, and that promise, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 12 and 15. Okay, so in the beginning, I'm going to, we're going to do a little Bible study here. But stay with me and let the power of God keep you awake. All right. Yeah, kind of, it's kind of fun doing that. Um, Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, and so this is Abraham, but before he changed his name to Abraham, he said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in, all the families of, and in, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God has blessed his people. He has blessed the heirs of his promise. A lot of us are living life as if we're still seeking the blessing. God, I have not received your blessing. I I don't know the joy of you. And we're still pursuing those things. But what I want to show us today is that God has given us that blessing. Now, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 15. Now, God gave this promise to Abraham when he was 75. You're going to have kids, Abraham. I know you're 75, but I will make a nation out of you. And Abraham's thinking to himself, 
God, I'm old. Um, you know, I, honestly, my soldiers, they're, they can make it, you know. They, they can still get some work done. But my wife, you know, the pastures aren't green anymore. It's a dry and barren land, dear God. It, it, we can't have children. What, what do you mean you're going to make a nation out of us? And God is giving this promise. And, and God says some, some crazy things, doesn't he? He said it to Abraham, like, your 65-year-old wife. And, and the child doesn't even come till 25 years later. And so she's approaching 80, and she's like, I don't have any kids, you know? And God says crazy things. How do you think Moses felt when God was like, go that way, into the water, Yes, go straight into the water. How did, how did Moses feel when he said that? How does, um, when, when Mary, you know, an angel comes and says, you are going to have a child, you know? No sex, God. Virgin. Like, hello, what are you talking about? Like, I'm going to have a child. Good one, right? You know, or, or um, you know, Jesus goes up to Lazarus. Wake up, bro. Get out. You know, people are like, this guy, like, have some respect. He's dead. He's not sleeping. He says, wake up. And Lazarus like, hello, what's going on? God, he does crazy things, right? And, and I know for a lot of us, we feel like in impossible situations, but please understand that God is not bound by possible. And when God makes a promise, he's going to see it through. He's going to see it through. And so we go to Genesis 15, and we see a covenant that God makes. And so we're going to unpack this covenant and understand that the way they make covenants in the Old Testament is different. You know, we, we understand it as a contract. And it's similar to a contract, but it's also, it's an intense contract. I, I, I have no better, it's, it's like a gangster contract. That's what this is. It's, it's as intense of a contract that you can get. And so we'll explain that. So Genesis 15, and we get Abraham. He's doing the same thing. You know, you guys, you made me a promise, but how do I believe in those promises? So he's questioning, how am I going to believe that I have a nation that you're going to make out of me? And, Abraham, and God says to Abraham, he brought him outside, and God said, look toward heaven, number the stars. If you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Verse 6 is a message on its own. But we're going to continue to move on. So God says, trust me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to cover this. And then Abraham continues to, he's like, I I don't know. How do I know that it's going to come into fruition? And then God says again, I am the Lord who brought you out out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, yes, they exist out of the second day of Christmas, and a young pigeon. And so he brought him all these, and Abraham cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And what happens is, this actually just happened to me a couple, last, last week, a couple weeks ago. I remember I was sleeping, I was taking a nap, and 
you've, you've probably had these moments too, but your, your dream is your real situation. Like, so I was napping, and in my dream, I was napping. And in my dream, something happened, and I started crying in my dream. Like, oh, I was so sad. And then I woke up. <laughs> it's dry. Was that real? Was that, was that, did I actually cry? Did I not cry? You've had those dreams where it's like, it's like your actual situation. And so Abraham starts to have a vision. And, and he falls asleep and God gives him a vision of the very situation that he's in at the moment. <clears throat> and so we're skipping a few of the middle verses where God basically tells a little bit about what's coming. About the Israelites and Egypt and, and going through the desert and such. And then verse 17 says, When the sun had gone down and Abraham was still asleep and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, the, the animal pieces that were laid out. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, land of Kenites, the Kenizzites, and so on and so off, land after land after land of people. All right. So here's what happened in an Old Testament covenant. In an Old Testament covenant... They, they would split these animals in half. So you can picture a bloody mess, right? There's animals and they're in half and there's all the blood from cutting them. And the two people of the covenant that were making this contract with each other, they walked through it. And so they're a witness to each other. That's how they signed the covenant. And, and we, we say we sign a contract. In the Old Testament, you cut a covenant, Right? And so that's how they did it. They cut the animals and they walked through it. And so they have each other as a witness, but God is also a witness in this. And God is not only a witness in this, God is the enforcer of the covenant. And what you're doing when you make the covenant is say, if I break this covenant, then God is my witness. God will enforce that my fate will be the same as these animals. It was a gangster contract. Like you sign that thing and you're saying, I'm committing to this lest I will be dead. <clears throat> you know, we don't have a lot of covenants today, but you'd wonder what that would do to our, our marriages if we approached it that way, right? We're, we're, that's a covenant. God is entering us into a covenant with a person. And let's say on our wedding days, we don't have like roses and candles. We have dead animals lying next to us. And we're heading into this thing. If I don't honor this person with the rest of my life and make this covenant, then... This is my fate. You know, till death do us part or else I will die like these animals. It might do something for our divorce rate. It might help a little, you know. But this is what a covenant was in the Old Testament. And so, like we were saying, the two people who make the covenant, they walk through it. Now, in this vision, when this covenant is made... Abraham never walked through it. Abram, he never walked through it. And in fact, the only things that walk through it in this vision are this, this pot, smoking pot, and a pillar of fire. If you remember some of the Exodus story, this is reminiscent of when God is leading the people out of Egypt, and in the daytime, he leads them in a pillar of cloud, and nighttime, he leads them in a pillar of fire. You know, cloud is kind of like that same image of the smoking pot. And he's saying the, the God that promised Abraham is also delivering you out of Egypt. And so these are the two images that walk through the covenant. It's God. 
God is walking through the covenant and only God is making the covenant. God is saying, I'm the one to bring out the promises in your life. He's saying, Abraham, you, you stand aside. Even if you walk through this covenant, it's just not going to work for you. I'm going to take it upon myself. The pressure's on me to make the promises and my people come through. In your life, in the life of every heir of this promise, it's on me. And if, it, and if this covenant breaks, it's my blood. That's the promise he makes to Abraham today. Or in that day. And it's a promise that we live in. It's a promise that God is saying, I will bring the promises through in your life. And so with that said, we can go back to Hebrews 6, and we'll go to verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, as we just saw. So that by two unchangeable items, two unchangeable things, and those two things are the promise, as if God needs to do more than promise. If he says it, it's good, but he adds an oath. The two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragements to hold fast to the hope set before us. It's God working. That's our encouragement. And we pick up in verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, we're not going to unpack. It's enough to say that he was a, kind of a special high priest and just saying, God, Jesus is the ultimate high priest. It says, we have a steadfast anchor of the soul. If you understand an anchor, an anchor is attached to the boat. And what an anchor needs to do is, is that it needs to reach to a depth that you cannot reach to. And it attaches itself to the firm foundation of the floor. And so an anchor keeps us grounded. When everything around us is going crazy, an anchor keeps us grounded. Our anchor is Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, he's saying, I am the way to everything you need. I'm the way to the truth. And not only am I the way to the truth, I am the truth. I'm the way to the truth to give you life. And not only am I the way to the truth to give you life, but I am the life. Jesus is every part of the anchor. He is, God made a promise and Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He is the way to that promise. He is that promise. Jesus is our steadfast anchor. We have so many anchors we're casting on, so many anchors that we think are going to be our source of joy. We have anchors that we think are going to fulfill us. We have anchors that we think are going to make our lives complete. And we have anchors that we think, if they change in our lives, then I can be happy. Isn't that why we're so lacking of joy? Because the truth is, God has given us Jesus. But we're looking at other anchors. 
and our anchor, even as Christian people, if, if, if you're someone who has not come into the faith and said, God, be my God, then I hope that you would make Christ your anchor today and follow him. But even as Christian people, we look to many other anchors. And if there is lack of joy in your life today, the question is, what have you replaced the anchor of Christ with? What do you want? When Christ is the ultimate anchor. This is the truth. And sometimes we don't believe the truth. But it's the truth. As God's people, as heirs of the promise, this is the truth. You've seen Talladega Nights? Will Ferrell? Ricky Bobby. You've seen the scene where the car crashes? Right? He's, if you don't know, he's a race car driver. And his car, and he goes to a race, and he crashes once. And this kind of messes up his career. But in that scene, they, they race the car scene. Like, Ricky Bobby, are you okay? Are you okay, Ricky Bobby? And then, and then the car's flipped over, but he, they pull him out, and he's fine. Okay, Ricky, you're safe. You're good. But what does Ricky think? I'm on fire! I'm on fire! And he's running around in a state of panic. And he starts, you know, he's Will Ferrell. He's like, help me, Jesus! Help me, Jewish man! And what, Help me, Oprah! And help me, Tom Cruise, with your witchcraft! And he's saying all these crazy things because he thinks... He's on fire, but he's not on fire. People are looking at him like, what's wrong? Ricky Bobby, you're not on fire. I'm on fire. The truth is that he's not on fire. He thinks he's on fire. And so he lives in that moment like he's on fire. The reality is that he's not on fire. As Christians, we're running around and in such a state of despair and panic as if our lives are on fire. But let me tell you something. The truth is that you're fine. You're going to be fine. I know you don't see this thing working out in your life right now, but you're going to be fine. You don't need to run around with your chick, like a chicken with your head cut off. You, need to, you don't need to think, my life's going to fall apart if I don't get a job, a, a wife, husband, um, a career, uh, 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 if I don't get the love, respect of these people. You're going to be fine. Because it's God's promise through Jesus Christ that's going to bring his promises into fruition in your life as an heir of the promise this is the reality that we live in you're gonna be okay you're gonna be more than okay in John chapter 4 Jesus comes to the woman at the well and he says if you remember the story he says give me some water to the Samaritan woman the Samaritan woman says you're a Jew I'm a Samaritan why are you asking me for water and he says, if you knew who I was, if you knew, if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for water. Because I will give you water and you will never thirst again. This is also a reality that we live in. This is not mere theoretical talk. Jesus is not just saying, in a world of dreams, if you have Jesus, you'll be completely satisfied. This is the reality that Christians are meant to live in, that God promises. In Jesus, we have no thirst. There is no empty longing in the name of Jesus. gone on some short-term mission trips um, 
And, and, and it's similar to the way we think about, maybe as we f- reflect on the Philippines here. But it, we, a lot of times, the co- a common response coming back from a short-term mission trip, and you ask that person, you talk to them, and you say, you know, what did you learn from, you know, going on that trip, and what has God shown you? And a very common response, and, you know, it's, it's not a bad response, but I think it can be better. A very common response is, you know, I'm, after coming home, I'm just, I'm grateful for the things I have here. You know, like clean water, the food I get to eat, um, you know, my bed, roof over my head. You know, it's good that God reveals those things. You should be grateful for those things. Um, on the, in the same light, you know, when we look at the Philippines... Our first response is often, and it's not a bad response per se, but again, I think it can be better, is, man, we need to go and we need to help them with, we, they need water, they need food, they need, they need some shelter, they need a roof over their heads. We need to go and help them. And yes, amen. But if we think that way, I, w- I would challenge us. You know, what if God took all those things away? What if, what if you were actually living in that third world country and you didn't have that clean water supply and, you know, the food was limited and, and you didn't have the comforts of your room and your bed? Does that mean that I have less reason to be thankful? Does that mean that God in my life has blessed me less and therefore if I'm someone in, in, in that third world country, oh, the people in the States, they're more blessed than I am? Is that what that means? Us living here, are we more blessed? Is that, is that what we feel like? Than people who have less? In Luke 14, Jesus gives this analogy. And he says, in order to follow him, you need to hate your mom, hate your dad, hate your brother, hate your sister. You need to hate your own life. And if you don't do that, you cannot be my disciple. We know that Christ isn't about hate. He wants us to love our family. So what is he saying here? He's saying, in contrast to the way that you love Jesus, everything else should look like hate. And we experience this a little bit. You, you, know, you have a friend that um, you're with all the time. You know, you're always hanging out with that friend. And then they start dating someone. And they disappear. Right? <laughs> Forget you. Right? And so you're used to always hanging out with that person and knowing that this person has my back. We love each other. We're BFF forever. Right? And then they start dating someone and you just feel like, you don't like me anymore? Well, you hate me now? And the person comes back, no, no, it's not that I don't like you. I, I still love you, but, you know, I, you know? <laughs> Right? What's happened here? It's, you know, they haven't stopped loving you. They still love you. But all of a sudden, they found this other love in their life that has taken over. And this other love, as a friend, it feels like, you don't like me anymore. And that's what Jesus is saying. The way that you love Jesus should make every other care and love in your life seem like nothing. Now, if Jesus is great in our lives, I would say the same way that we feel gratitude to who Jesus is makes every other Thing that's yes, it's a blessing that we should be thankful for, but it makes every other thing seem minimal and almost to the point where we have no care for it in the world. 
Because we have Jesus. Because we have Jesus. And he is that great of a treasure in our lives. And if that's the case, then whether I'm in the United States or in the Philippines or in a third world country, if I have Jesus, I recognize I am blessed as anybody else. And so I hope that when we pray for the Philippines, our prayer isn't just, God, would you give them food? It would be, would you give them the bread of life? It's not just water, but God, they need the living water. They need an anchor to the soul. They don't just need spiritual or physical recovery, but a spiritual anchor to the soul. And if they have that, then Lord, I know that they will know what it means to be blessed even in the midst of that trouble and suffering and struggle you know what if i told you that if you live one day for jesus you live for god today and the rest of your life is set you live for jesus just today one day and the rest of your life will be heaven what would you do you would live for jesus today and i told you also that you're going to have a hard time this today is going to be tough you're going to get persecuted. People are going to come at you. You're going to actually start losing a lot of the things that you have. But I will give you strength to endure. My promises will uphold you. And in the midst of that struggle, you will know me to a greater depth, greater than you've ever known me before. And you just hang in one day and honor me and love me for that one day. And even if you fail, it's okay. My promise is coming through in your life. And the rest of your life is going to be heaven. What would you do? I need to live for Jesus. There's nothing greater to live for. And every time something difficult happens, you lose your house. Your family member gets sick. Let's say you're in a relationship and you break up or you're divorced. Or let's say you lose your job. You start to you go bankrupt for some weird reason. Someone identity thefts you. And everything goes crazy. Your, peop- your friends turn their back on you. And there's actually some crazy people want to just hurt you and they come at you all this is happening and what would you do one day i need to get through one day and god will give me strength through this one day and if i can be faithful one day i know that there's a promise god is my strength today he is my hope for tomorrow and i'm going to push through this one day and through your tears through your suffering through everything that's happening you say god is greater and i'm going to push through because of the promise of god in my life i will make it through this day and i have a promise that i have only eternity with him in heaven waiting for me right right And that's what this life is. What is, if you're a mathematician, what is one in light of infinity? It's, well, it's infinitely small. What is a hundred in light of infinity? It's, again, infinitely small. What is a million in light of infinity? It's infinitely small. And eternity is our infinity that we have after this life. This life is infinitely small. It's a blip on the radar. One day is less than a day. And we're so panicked instead of saying god i have this one blip on the radar to live for you and i want to live for you and push through and i know that you are my strength instead we're running around i I need my car i need this job god what if i don't get married god what if i don't what if these people never like me who cares who cares you don't need the affections of those people you don't need the possessions of this world We have Jesus, the anchor of our soul. 
the strength for today. His promise that he's promised to see through in your life. And we have an amazing eternity as heirs of the promise, as his chosen people. So this Thanksgiving season and, and the rest of the year and every day, the common practice that people say is, you know, count your blessings. I'm saying you have one blessing. So count on Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we recognize again how, how we put so many other anchors in our lives and we pursue so many other things. But Lord, would you remind us again that you are the anchor, that you are the ultimate satisfaction, you are the greatest joy, you are the only joy, and you are our only reason in every situation, every circumstance, that we can say, I'm so blessed, and I'm so thankful. And even if it seems like we have nothing else, we know that you give us strength, strength for today, hope for tomorrow. So God, will we stop running around as if we're in a state of panic? Will we stop being in such a state of despair and live in the promises that you promised to see through in our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.